0: All right, time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. And Vaughn, this morning just got an email here that says that uh, transit service is suspended until further notice in the Victoria Regional Transit System because of the current conditions. How is it out there?
1: Yes, this massive snow dump here by Victoria Standard, so a few centimetres. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking out my window, however, and uh, yes, there's snow on the roofs, snow on the streets, snow on the sidewalks and on the cars. And in order to uh, walk in this morning, I'm going to have to put my yak tracks on, oh. so I end up at the budget lock-up and not the ER at uh, Royal Jubilee Hospital.
0: Yes, that would be a good thing to make sure you end up safely at work, because it is budget day. So what do we expect to hear?
1: Well, the finance minister gave it all away yesterday. Uh, I don't know as though this will be the headline, but it's what Katrina Conroy said off the top at her availability yesterday is this era of a budget surplus is gone and we're headed back into deficits and she said plural so the economy is slowing uh the new democrats are not slowing the rate of spending so we are going to go back into deficits and debt um with today's budget we don't know for how many years but uh, the way she said it it sounds like several years
0: okay is this a difference in philosophy because this is not what we saw under carol james
1: well Yeah, you know, Samira, remember when, you know, finance ministers everywhere used to be a little bit embarrassed if they were running a deficit? Yeah. They'd have an explanation, but they'd also have a plan to bring the budget back into balance. Uh, Joy McPhail in the last NDP government, when she was finance minister, talked about it. And James was very proud. The first, John Horgan's first finance minister, Carol James, was very proud that she tabled and delivered. For balanced budget she even paid down some of the direct debt of the province but you know her last budget which was four years ago this month uh it was blown away by the pandemic uh, bc like governments everywhere in the world uh, in an emergency with the full support of the opposition went heavily back into debt but The projections, Simi, in those days were that we were looking at years and years of deficits. The B.C. economy was actually recovered quickly, thanks to Dr. Bonnie Henry, who kept much of the economy open. Uh, British Columbians, uh, a lot of them stayed at work and a lot of them paid a lot of taxes. And that's where we got this enormous surplus. Uh, Business taxes, real estate taxes, income taxes... And here we are. We ended up with a $5.7 billion surplus, but we're going back into deficit. That's where it is. And, right. you know, you listen to what Conroy said yesterday. The days of being slightly ashamed of running deficits are gone. Uh, it's now a sign that the government loves us. Uh, the, you know, it, it proves they care, and they're going to do it. And it sounds, from what you said yesterday, uh, like they're going to do it in a big way.
0: In a big way? That I don't know how that would go
1: over with people. Well, I, you know, I do think the public mood around this has changed, and I th- it changed for several reasons. One was a sense that all those years of frugality in order to balance budgets and keep them balanced, uh, even at the federal level, uh, for a while, although Trudeau hasn't done that, uh, I think there was a sense that, yeah, but you ended up uh, starving a lot of services. You ended up with... Um, problems like the housing crisis that needed to be addressed, uh, healthcare health care waiting lists that needed to be addressed. And you also discovered, I think, during the pandemic that mm, governments could run pretty big deficits without wrecking everything. Americans, of course, are doing that bigger than we ever imagined. So I think there's been a change of mood around it. There's a sense that you know, what's so bad about it? Right, I mean, you you end up propping up services. People stay at work; they pay taxes. That occasionally produces what we have—a surplus. And why can't we go on this way? Um, the only politician in my time that's ever really provided a short answer to that question was Paul Martin, who was the finance minister in the 90s under Jean Chrétien. And his line was, "Well, we haven't repealed the law of compound interest that eventually." The stuff has to be paid for, and if interest rates are rising, you have to pay for more. But, but, you know, I would say that B.C. is at the low end of debt and deficits and interest payments. So the B.C. government's got a fair amount of room to move on this issue, and I don't think we're going to hit the wall first by any means.
0: Is also part of that argument, I think, today in B.C. is that, listen, we, we're behind on building stuff. Yep. And I, I, you kind of heard some of that from Premier David Eby, right, is that we yes. have an infrastructure deficit.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't control, the province does not control immigration. The federal government does, and it's welcoming hundreds of thousands of new Canadians every year and welcome and bless them, and we need them uh, for the workforce an awful lot of them end up in British Columbia. They need housing, they need health care, they need all kinds of government services, transit, schools, hospitals, and all those things cost money. British Columbia is an expensive place to build things. So you're right, a lot of this is needed, a lot of it is driven by the growth in our population and the people that are moving here. But again, it all needs to be paid for, and now, because a lot of it's borrowed, rising interest rates have an impact on government borrowing costs. Although, because BC's borrowing costs have been low, its interest payments have been low, we've probably got more move- room to move on that than most governments in Canada as well.
0: Okay, so what is the schedule then like this morning? Uh,
1: well, at 8 o'clock, uh, the uh, budget lockup opens. And we go into the room, and we sit down at our assigned places in there, and we will find a giant stack of paper in front of us, actual binders, and there will be disks because some of the stuff is on disk. And you dig in, and you start looking for stuff. So, you know, I usually look to see what's happening to the debt what's happening to taxes, first of all. Uh, I think we'll be looking to see what's happened to the cost of government construction projects, because as we saw with the expansion of the Provincial Museum and the hospital at Cowichan, those are costing more. And then you'll look to see what some of the big stuff is. Um, we get a presentation by the finance minister at mid-morning. She does PowerPoint. Later, she takes questions. Then we get uh, the interest groups, the stakeholders, all the public sector unions, B.C. Federation of Labor, B.C. Business Council, they are available. Tell us what they think. And when the finance minister stands up in the legislature to start delivering the budget speech, which past experience is probably sometime a little after one thirty, we get released. And we're out of the lockup and we get to tell everybody what we think was in the budget. Try to report as much as you can. Simi, mean, usually with provincial budgets, I find that you, you load an awful lot of stuff into the first day and tell people as much as you can. Sometimes it takes two or three days to realize the stuff that was there that they didn't emphasize. Yeah. <laughs> and that turns out to have been the most controversial or the most important <laughs> thing they did. So, right. you know, you, you, you go into it, do the best you can, but you're also aware that, hmm, this is a moving target. The real story and the budget may be coming in a few days.
0: That is very true. Okay, so we will wait to talk to you about that, but also you had a little bit of a tour yesterday, did you?
1: Yes, uh, Tourism Minister Lana Popham promised the Press Gallery a tour of the mothballed third floor of the Provincial Museum, and yesterday she delivered, she took us up there, with the CEO of the museum, some of the museum staff, uh, 9.30, ran until about 11, so it was a good tour, walked us around, showed us stuff, uh, wanted us to see that, contrary to the impressions that the museum itself uh, created when it closed the third floor permanently uh, at the end of 2021, she wanted us to see that the bones of the thing were still there, and they are, although a lot of the exhibits in those displays, in those galleries, are boxed up and ready to be put into storage. So, it's not immediately ready to reopen. But Popham told us she'd like to see the third floor and Old Town back in action and open to the public by this summer. Hmm. Do you think However, that'll happen? A question about all yeah. that. <laughs> Also on the tour with the minister was the CEO of the museum, Alicia Dubois, and she started a little over a year ago, back in the era when the museum was still bent on decolonizing its exhibits. And she gave us a lot of reasons why this is not going to happen overnight. The museum is in a consultation. The museum is hearing from some members of the public who want the place refreshed. The museum is concerned that a lot of the exhibits um, need updating. And when she was asked point blank about the minister's view that she'd like it reopened this summer, uh, could, could the CEO see the museum opening this summer? Uh, sorry, this year? And she said, perhaps, <laughs> which wasn't exactly. <laughs> I would say the minister and the CEO are still not on the same page on this. Popham is in touch with the public, especially in the capital region. People, they can't understand why the third floor isn't open now, since it could be made yeah. ready and opened. And the CEO is still, to me, on a course that, well, you know, maybe we'll open some of it this year, but we're not in any big rush. Hmm. I guess interesting.
0: We'll, yeah, it is interesting. Vaughn, thank you.
1: Bye-bye, Simi. <laughs>